Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded and expects to hit 6 million listens by the end of July 2023. We're celebrating this success by recognizing those who have shared the journey with us and giving them the opportunity to contribute to the ongoing success of the shows. By buying a paper copy of the Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a donation to help the ongoing running costs, members of the international Italian wine community will be given the chance to nominate future guests and even enter a prize draw to have lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. To find out more, visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today I'm delighted to continue our special sub-series that highlights the winners of the prestigious five-star wines and wines without walls competition that took place earlier this year. Over the course of two days, at the end of March, early April, Just before Vinitaly, more than 2,200 wines were tasted by an international jury of wine journalists, Italian winemakers, sommeliers, Italian wine ambassadors. Those wines that scored more than 90 points were awarded certificates and will be included in the Five Star Wines and Wine Without Walls 2024 book that is coming out soon, while the very best wines in each category were singled out for special awards. The Wines Without Walls section of the five-star competition gives recognition to the increasing range of wines produced by organic, biodynamic, sustainable, and low-intervention methods, wines that have become so much more available and important in recent years, not least as winemakers face the challenges of climate change, something we'll talk about today. Today we're traveling to the Maremma in southern Tuscany to visit the wine estate of Montevero, which won the Wines Without Walls Award for Best Organic White Wine for its Montevero Chardonnay Biologico, Toscana IGT. Mathieu Tonnet, the winemaker at Montevero, joins me as my guest. Many congratulations, Mathieu, to you and to the whole team. How are you today? Thank you very much, Mark. I'm Feeling very fine today. Thank you very much. Good. Is it a warm day, Matthew? I'm imagining you've been suffering some very hot temperatures. Yeah, it's a warm day, but uh, the, the wind just changed two days ago, and now it's wind from the north, so it's a dry wind. So it's much uh, much nicer than uh, than the last 10 days with the Shiroko. Shiroko is a wind from the south, and it's very humid, and it really makes a difference when you want to sleep at night. Okay, I can understand that. And I, um, I'd like um, you, first of all, to take our listeners to Maremma to describe where you are, what are some of those climatic influences. You've mentioned the winds, and you're very near the Tyrrhenian Sea, looking out to the Argentario. Is that right? Exactly. We are in uh, Capalbio, this uh, small medieval town in the, 
the really the source tip of Tuscany. We are by the sea, just in front of Monte Argentario, as I said. The winery is really seeing the sea from the vineyards. The distance probably is two, maximum three kilometers from, from the sea. We are on a small slope facing the north of the bay. So it's facing south, actually, this, uh, this vineyard. And we have now today about 40 hectares of, uh, of vineyard in this property. And the back of the vineyard, then we have the hill of Montero. So the, the, the name of the winery comes from the name of this hill, Monte Hill, Vero, the wild boar. So the, the hill of the wild boar, Monte Vero. And on the top of this hill, Montero, there is a medieval by the village of, uh, of Capalbio. So that's a very, very good picture. I'm imagining Capalbio really looking out and you've got this beautiful position of sea and land. And what about those wild boar? Do you still have them roaming and eating the grapes? Uh, yes. So we have to defend ourselves uh, by uh, being good friends with the hunter. That's the first thing. And, and second thing is uh, to build uh, a fence that is high enough and deep enough also to protect ourselves from a wild boar. But recently, actually, we have a little bit less problematic with the wild boar because uh, the wolf is, uh, is in Marema as well. Oh, so, so there is many wolf here in Marema. I've seen that uh, there is uh, less uh, problematic of, uh, of wild boar as well. Yeah. Oh, my. That's very, very interesting. Now tell us a little bit about Montevero, a bit of, of the history of the estate. And I know you're an organic wine estate, so that's something I'd like to hear about and how uh, some of the organic interventions that you do in the vineyard. Exactly. So Montevero is quite a young project because it's born in, uh, in 2003 from the, the passion and the imagination of uh, Georg Weber, the, the owner. He's German from uh, Munich in uh, Baviera. He discovered this place. He identified the, the terroir where to uh, begin this project. Uh, and we, he planted, because then I arrived in 2008 in this project. So he planted the first 15 hectares in 2004, 2005, and 2006. And I entered this project in 2008 to make the first wine. So we make wine only for the last 15 years uh, at, uh, at Montevero. So very, very, very new project. And you were organic from the beginning? Uh, exactly. I wanted to tell you about this story, about how we, we move into organic agriculture. And, uh, because um, until you plant your vineyard, it's very, very difficult to understand what are the capacity of your terroir, to understand how the terroir will manage all this uh, situation with the, the droughts that we can have during summer here. And, and so it has been interesting for me for the first two, three vintages to understand as much as possible the, the terroir, to understand its capacity, to understand how to balance the vineyard. And that doing all this um, work that I understand actually that, okay, now I'm organic. Uh, because uh, slowly I understand that uh, by balancing the, the vineyard, by understanding how the soil is working, boosting the microbiologic life of the soil, that actually I could just 
get out all this uh, chemical pesticide and, and work only with uh, sulfur and, and copper and manage easily in vineyard with uh, only these uh, these two products. We are also using some uh, some tea. Uh, how you call that? Like a tisane. Yes, tisane, exactly, in French, sorry. So we call that tisane also in English, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Is this a sort of biodynamic tisane? No, it's not biodynamic. I mean, anyone can can do that. It's just, uh, we are just uh, getting some different kind of uh, of uh, plants that, uh, that have this uh, cryptogamic, anti-cryptogamic uh, activity that helps the copper or the sulfur to being even more uh, efficient. So by using all this, actually, we after a few years, I understand that we were actually organic. So it was easy for us after 10 years to uh, ask for the organic uh, certification. Yes. So all the wine are organic since the vintage 2019, but they were a little bit before organic actually now you've mentioned i'm thinking of pest control you've mentioned how you deal with wild boars but what about pests in the vineyard that might have been sprayed with a chemical pesticide how do you combat pesticides in your organic vineyard actually when i arrived here we had a problem with mealybug and mealybug uh, i understand very very soon after uh, not even two vintages that uh, using insecticide you, could, you don't kill millibugs with insecticide, or at least you kill millibugs, but you don't kill the problem. After two, two, not even two vintage, it was the second vintage, I decided after the first insecticide, completely stop this insecticide, and understood that it's recreating a biodiversity in terms of insects. So in those insects, for sure, millibug is part of it, and in a first couple of months, couple of years, mealybug, yes, will be a problem for me and it will spread. Uh, but slowly, there will be a kind of balance with all the other insects. And, and some of them, many of them, actually, first of them, first of all, will take the place of the mealybug. So mealybug will not have so much space to develop. And secondly, in those other insects, there will be those insects that kill or eat the mealybug. And so it took me actually Probably three, three vintages, three other vintages to recreate a complete balance in my vineyard. And today I can tell you, I don't even, because then for 10 years, I continue to follow this problematic, to count the millibugs, go in the vineyard, count the millibugs uh, in the spring, in the summer, and stuff like this. But today is not a problem anymore. And I know that there is many other vineyards here around that have this problem of millibugs. So, you know, that gives you a hint, this kind of problematic that says that, okay, so let's try the same with uh, other uh, anti-cryptogramming pesticides that you use for um, for the mildew, for example, or for the powdery mildew. And so that was exactly the same that uh, after a couple of years that I, I stopped all these chemicals and, and I became organic. So really recreating this balance in terms of biodiversity and recreating a balance in the plant to make sure that the plant is not too much vigorous, okay, but not even too less vigorous, okay? So it can also, the plant can defend 
itself against this problematic. Okay, so a much more holistic approach to the whole environment. I mean, it's all about prevention. It's all about putting all the situation as best as possible to prevent this problematic. When you have a vineyard that is too much vigorous, that means that, first of all, you will have too much grapes. Secondly, you will have too much leaf. And all this too much of grapes and leaves create this humid condition for the mildew to develop like hell. And in this vintage, I know you heard, but this problematic about mildew in 2023 in Tuscany, but in all over Italy, actually, huh? they're speaking about 40% less, I don't believe it, huh? but 40% less volumes in 2023 because of the mildew. So it's a big, big problematic. And for us, really, we lose maybe 2%, but uh, really nothing, nothing. Yes. My, my, that's incredible. It's really finding that holistic approach is, is helping with climate change too, because this mildew problem is happening from the extreme heat and then the crazy rains that are happening. And you're finding that although climate change is obviously an issue, this type of farming is a much more effective way of coping. Italian Wine Podcast. If you think you love wine as much as we do, then give us a like and a follow anywhere you get your pods. Yes, because this kind of farming way is also working in, uh, it's a term in French, I don't know if it's the same in, in English, resilience. Yes, yes. When you have this kind of problematic with the climate change, with a drought, for example, that lasts for a month, two months, for example, during summer. I've seen that uh, today, I really, really have vineyards that resist more and more and more to this, uh, to this drought. So they are more and more resilient to this drought, for example. But also sometimes we have some rain because climate change is, um, is the problem is the, the extreme climate change. That during the uh, same vintage, you have a big drought, but after you have big rains also that can happen in um, September, for example, during the vintage. And that happened sometimes during vintage for us to have big rain of like 80 millimeters of, of rains in, in one shot. And I've seen that 10 years ago, 12 years ago, that will have been a disaster in the vineyard for the soils and, and for the, the grapes that were uh, uh, ripening. And today, it was actually two, two years ago, we had this, uh, this rain on the last part of the vintage. So it was still a couple of hectares of Cabernet Sauvignon that uh, needed to be, uh, to be harvested. 80 millimeters of rain. And I see now, I wanted to, to, to go right after, uh, two days after, okay, we enter into this, uh, this vineyard and we get out all these, uh, these, uh, these grapes and testing the grapes and say, they resist quite, quite well. And we could have, st- uh, keep these grapes. For another eight days, I would say, a week for sure, probably eight days after this rain. And they continue to, to maturate, to ripen without any problem. Because of this resilience. Yes, because of this resilience. Now, let's talk about your award-winning wine. It's a great achievement because to win the best organic white wine in the Wines Without Walls means that this wine scored the highest points of any of the other organic white wines that were submitted. And there were many good wines. I was a judge at Five Star and Wines Without Walls. So it's a very rigorous 
test and the top wines then go through another tasting to ensure that uh, they are worthy. So it's a great achievement. Tell us about this Chardonnay. I would imagine Chardonnay is not the easiest grape to grow in southern Tuscany. Exactly. So that's why it's a great achievement, actually. You can imagine I arrived uh, in, uh, in 2008 in this project, as I told you before. Where did you come from, Mathieu? I, I come from uh, France, as you can imagine. And uh, But at this time, I was working in Napa Valley. Oh, okay. I was working yeah. uh, with uh, this winemaker Jean Ophelier in, uh, in Napa Valley. Uh, it, well, he was for, working for Alpha Omega at this time. And when I arrived in this project in 2008, when they talked me, uh, talk to me about this project, they said about this Bordeaux varieties that they planted, they said about the Syrah and Grenache that they planted, and they said about this Chardonnay. And I said, wow, Chardonnay in front of the sea, in south of Tuscany. How are we going to do? How are we going to do? And really, it, it has been really a long journey, a long journey to, to, to understand this, uh, this variety. Yeah. Um, because Chardonnay is very versatile. Huh? You, you find Chardonnay in Napa Valley, in, in New Zealand, in South Africa, in Bourgogne, in, in Jura. You can find Chardonnay everywhere. But being that, it's not an easy uh, variety. It's really not an easy variety. It reacts very much to these climatic conditions. So if you have a hot vintage, a cold vintage, really you can feel that uh, in the wine, in the grapes first and then in the wine. So has been difficult to, to, to manage the vineyard first, to have um, enough yield. So at the opposite of other uh, way of thinking, uh, for the Chardonnay, I uh, decided to put a little bit more vigor in the vineyard, to ask a little bit more. But anyways, they are in the soil that is quite deep. There is a lot of clay, so it's, it's, the soil is quite already rich. So it was not a problem for the plant to support a little bit more yield. And this little bit more yield that um, I asked the Chardonnay changed the, the way of making this Chardonnay because we had a little bit more acidity in the, in the final grapes uh, at harvest. Also, the, the window of harvesting was a little bit bigger because at the very beginning, I really were missing for a day, maximum two days, and you were really completely changing the style of the, of the Chardonnay because of two days late harvesting. So very, very small decisions make very big differences. Yes, yes. Very, very small decision. That was the first change that, that we did in the vineyards. And for sure, by year after year, vintages after vintages, I understood that I should probably harvest the Chardonnay a little bit earlier than ripe. So it's always difficult for a winemaker to to say, okay, the, the grapes are not ripe, but I will anyway. To keep that freshness. Uh, yes, I will harvest them. I took this decision as well, and that also helps the wines to be to have more, more, more tension. And then inside the cellar, the big decision and changes that I've been doing is, first of all, but it's not changes, it's just uh, also here is a journey, because I was working with barrels, with different tonneliers, but then slowly you understand that these, these, these tonnelier are not good. So you are testing a new one uh, and, and it takes time because you have only once per year that you can try a new tonnelier. So it takes time to understand which one of these tonnelier, which one of these uh, wood are working well with the Chardonnay. 
uh, how much new wood you want to use. And, and finally, also in after four, five vintages in 2012, I decided to add part of the aging in uh, concrete. So that means that I'm doing the alcoholic fermentation in, in barrels in order to really divide all these parcels, all these, these different uh, clones and, 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 uh, and type of, of grapes that I can harvest in the vineyard. And then after I'm making the blend of the best of these barrels and doing the aging for another 16 months in concrete and in barrels. So we have two different uh, kind of aging and also this really, really helps me to keep the tension, not the tension in terms of, of structure of the wine, but the tension in terms of aromatic. Very, very, very fresh. Okay. And then you do the assemblage. And then at the end, yes, I'm doing assemblage. I can change a little bit also. I can decide at the end, okay, let's not use one or two barrels to have an ends a little bit more of the part in, uh, in concrete because uh, it lacks a little bit tension. So I can still con- take an, decision at the end and, and not bottle all of the, the all of the bars for example or the opposite not all of the concrete tanks but uh, just to get that balance and that tension in the wine exactly. that you're looking for exactly yeah well it must be hugely satisfying with all these decisions not just over one year but over many years to reach a point where a wine that you've been so passionate and involved with can win such an important award yeah, 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 yeah. It's really, really great pleasure to have, uh, to have this kind of award, uh, after, uh, after this, uh, this long journey. But I can tell you that also it's, um, it's very nice to hear from our many clients that we have, uh, around Italy or, or around Europe that, uh, this Chardonnay really, really, uh, gives them a great satisfaction. And I can tell you, uh, that was not easy, huh? but the, actually the Italian market reacts the most about this, uh, this Chardonnay. And we have great success in Italy. And uh, there's many great white wine in Italy. Huh? Definitely, I can tell you, I've been testing lots of great wine from Alto Adige down to Sicily. Huh? There's many great white wines. And to be able to be part of them, uh, after uh, only uh, 15 years of the winery, and to be part of this top uh, white wines in Italy is really great honor. Yeah. Yes, and a great achievement. Now, I'd like to turn to food and wine and to discussing this great Chardonnay with, with the food of Marema, but also maybe with other cuisines. How is this uh, wine enjoyed? And what are some of the dishes that you feel pair best with it? Uh, definitely, if you're in Marema, you want to, to pair this wine with, uh, with fish. Uh, we have many, many kind of, uh, pasta with, uh, with fish, with, uh, gambero rosso, for example, uh, red shrimp. We have, uh, many of this also fish soup that we have. There is one, the, the famous near Livorno, which is cacciucco, which is this soup with a lot of fish, which is quite intense. Sometimes also I think they put uh, tomatoes in it. So it's quite intense soup and it's really, really can stand very, very well with, uh, with the Chardonnay. But I like also to, uh, to pair uh, the Chardonnay with, uh, with white meat. So uh, I'm French, so I can think about the Lapin, la Moutarde, for example, Mostard, Rabbit. 
Uh, that's really, really extraordinary. With, uh, and I imagine you must have a lot of rabbits in that uh, macchia, the Mediterranean. Yeah, lepre. So wild rabbit, yeah. yeah. Wild hare, oh. the lepre. Yeah. yeah, yeah, lots of them, lots of them. Exactly, exactly. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds fabulous. And uh, I'm imagining this richer style of Chardonnay, such a good match for that, that uh, rich and hearty fish soup of Livorno. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It matches very well with uh, this kind of soup. And also, what it's very interesting, uh, you usually don't like to taste wine at a uh, very, very low temperature. Huh? Uh, but uh, when you test this Chardonnay at 14, 15 degrees, also, really, it's fantastic. It's really, really fantastic. Lots of expressivity, but in the mouth, the structure of the wine, the tension of the wines really, really makes you understand that, well, it's really a wine for gastronomy. We could have spoken about the red wines you're producing, but we've run out of time now. But I'm interested in some of the blends you're doing, Sangiovese with Garnacha, uh, for example, which sounds very, very interesting. But we'll have to leave that for another time, Mathieu. I'd love to uh, follow our conversation. Thank you very much for taking the time out to share the story of Montevero, the winery, to share the story of this beautiful corner of Tuscany that is perhaps less visited with international visitors, but an area that should be visited. And, of course, the story of this award-winning wine, the Montevero Chardonnay. So thank you very much, and I hope you have a good season this year. The, the conditions are not too extreme, and I'll look forward to tasting your wines on another occasion. Great. Thank you, and have a great day. Buona giornata. Buona Thank you very much, Mark. This has been a pleasure for me. <laughs> Merci. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Please remember to like, share and subscribe right here or wherever you get your pods. Likewise, you can visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Until next time, chin chin.